0: Welcome to the NBDA Podcast, interviews with industry leaders and subject experts from across the business development world. Join us as we talk about real-world experiences, challenges, and opportunities that can take your career to the next level. The NBDA Podcast is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's
1: your host, Dave Spray.
0: Hi, this is David Spray, and welcome to another episode of the official podcast of the National Business Development Association. My guest today is Leah Fall, the founder and owner of 15,000 Cubits, a digital marketing agency here in Houston. Leah is also the director of marketing for NBDA, and in this episode, we talk about how she learned about NBDA why she joined, why she chose to become a member of the board, and the value she's received from being a part of the organization. We also talked about why she started her firm, a crossroads she came to a year in, and the importance of culture as a differentiator in their space. Leah also shared her thoughts on business development, how much she does in a week, what her typical activities are, and some best practices she also has on business development. So this is a great episode. Leah is a really dynamic person who's really passionate about her business, her employees, and her clients. So I know you're really going to enjoy the episode, so let's get to it. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. So let's, let's get right in and let's kind of start at the beginning. Are you originally from Houston?
1: I actually grew up in Ohio and I made it down here to to Texas as quick as I could. And I have been here for about 12 years.
0: Okay. You know, it's funny. I'm from Iowa originally and folks from outside, you know, those two states confuse them all the time. I think people not from the Midwest think it's like the same state or something because, you know, four letters, you know, starts with a vowel, ends with a vowel. So uh, similar
1: I think you could make a song about that.
0: (laughs) I think you're right. I think you're right. So what what brought you to Houston?
1: Well, just family. My dad lived here. So my mom, I wanted to be around family after I went to college and I was looking at Ohio, not Iowa. Ohio, where my mom lives. <laughs> We're here in Texas, and my my dad actually lives in Katy, outside of Houston. So seems like there'd be more opportunity for me here, and that's what brought me this way.
0: Okay, one of my favorite restaurants in the whole world is in Columbus, Ohio. So I really like Columbus. I've been there many times. It's a. Uh, have you been to Columbus? I have. Yeah, it's a place called Schmidt Sausage House in uh, Germantown, and I've, I think I've driven like 100 miles out of the way to go there before, so I have fond, fond opinion of Ohio. So you came down here, want to be closer to family, so let's talk about your current gig. So you're the sure. owner of 15,000 Cubits, and you started that, I think, uh, close to seven years ago. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yes, that sure did.
0: So tell us about the name first, and then tell us about what you do.
1: Yeah, so 15,000 Cubits, it's cubits—it's a—it's an interesting name. I get asked about that a lot. So when I first started the business, I actually kind of fell into it as a lot of entrepreneurs. I was reading a book called The E-Myth, and when reading the book, I was reading the section called Primary Purpose, and it talks about how when you start a business, you're going to start with your primary purpose in mind. And I was actually at an agency, a technical digital marketing agency, and I was dreaming about one day starting a business. and And I had the thought when I start when I start my business that I know that I'll have. I want it to be about who I want to be and who I want to work with. And I knew I would do digital marketing, but I I really wanted to focus on more than that, something bigger than that. And I wanted to focus on the relationships and the kind of owner I was going to be. And I kept going back to the word faith. And while there's a very distinct difference between faith and religion for me, because I am a Christian, one of the examples of faith that I thought about was Noah and mm-hmm. um, Noah's Ark. And so Noah's Ark.com was taken and <laughs> nothing that had to do with Noah's Ark was available for a domain. And my sure. husband, who's an engineer, he said, uh, hey, you know, it actually says in the Bible that Noah's Ark is 15,000 cubits. And uh, so that was the birth of the company name, which actually came before the company itself. And shortly after that, I got my first client and ended up starting the business and started figuring out all the things you have to figure out as you run a business. I'm like, you need more than yourself and one client to actually be a business. (laughs) (laughs) That (laughs) is uh, true. yeah, it was a process and and it's led us to where we're at today. So about seven years old, five coming on, six team members. And uh, we've grown and learned a lot and figured out who we are. And um, like I said, it's not, you know, a lot of times we talk about the name and Noah's Ark and the connection between the two. And a lot of times it's like, oh, you're a Christian business. And, you know, I think it's much bigger than that. I'm a Christian myself, but faith is more about the kind of person that you are. And honoring Mm -hmm. the kind of person that has faith in something and that's willing to take a step out on something that they believe in. I think it's important to understand, especially in, you know, society today, it's important to understand the difference between the two and everyone should honor the element of faith in people and whatever that decision is and what you have faith in, respecting that and caring about that in each other. And, you know, it's an opportunity for us as a company to have discussions like that, which is really cool, where we talk about you know, how we just respect individuals that have faith in something and that build their life on something bigger than themselves. And we respect the differences in that.
0: And mm-hmm. and that's the name. Oh, that's great. I, I love the name. So did you have what Michael Gerber calls a entrepreneurial seizure then? Is that kind of what started you to
1: you business? Know, I think you I remember that term?
0: Yes. You remember that term in the book?
1: I do. Yeah. Where you become a technician and, You're so strong in what you do that you uh, have a moment of literal breakdown where you're like, why am I doing this for somebody else and I can go do it for myself? And then you go through this pathway, which the whole book's written on the concept that you go down this pathway of really realizing that running a business is so much more than just your technical skill. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and yeah, I I, I don't think that I actually had the seizure yet. I think I was showing early signs and I would have ended up having one for sure but but I actually ended up getting an opportunity for a very large contract, large client. And for an entire year, it was just me. It was me and that one client. And when that didn't work out, and it wasn't because of our, you know, that's the thing about having a business is sometimes it just doesn't work out. And it's not even your fault. Mm-hmm. And when that ended up not working out, I had to look myself in the mirror about a year later after I started the LLC in the business and say, okay, am I really going to start this? You know, am I really going to do it? Cause one client and, just me is not really a business. Let's really give this thing a go and I felt like I had some unfinished business and that's how you know I ended up growing from there. So while we're almost 7 years old, I kind of feel like we're almost 6 because the first year was really just me.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I I appreciate your candor and I love the the crossroads you came to because I think every entrepreneur comes to that crossroads where, you know, as far as what do you do, you know, what do you want it to be and and it sounds like once you made the decision to make it a real business that it sounds like that decision alone gave you some clarity and focus didn't it
1: oh absolutely absolutely
0: that's great so i know you mentioned digital marketing agency so tell us a bit more what that means i've heard that term but i don't think i really fully understand what that means
1: yeah Thing. I mean, I think digital marketing agencies, well, you have marketing agencies, and that's, I, I look at that as more your umbrella of traditional marketing where it's like PR and design, creative, print, brand, branding, that's marketing agency. And then your digital marketing agency is, you know, all things digital, but you have different niche specialties in digital that different digital marketing agencies can specialize in different things. You know, you've got email marketing, social media, website, SEO. That's all. You know, digital marketing and it's interesting how, you know, right now I feel like the digital marketing industry is very saturated. You know, there are a lot of people that that have read some articles and figured some things out and they think, you know, they're experts and they can do a decent job. But a lot of times companies that go looking for digital marketing agencies, they really need strategy and they need Mm -hmm. an understanding on how to actually make money online for their business and how to, you know, hire and how to set up digital and do the right thing at the right time and what needs to be in place and what doesn't at the stage that they're in as a business and um, how to monetize online efforts. And and so I, you know, we have had a process of figuring out what our niche is. I think digital marketing is really interesting in that you can niche many ways. You can niche into a specialty, like you can become a a website design digital marketing agency or you can Mm -hmm. niche into an industry. And you can do like digital marketing for health and wellness, right? And you know, we tried that. We tried kind of niching in um, different areas. And and while I personally have a heavy back, background in, in SEO, we do specialize in SEO and all the service offerings that we do are grounded in SEO principles, search engine principles these days. I mean, even social media sites are actual search engines. They all use algorithms. You know, the concepts are all need to be baked into all of your digital marketing efforts. But, you know, we specialize in four main service offerings. We do website design, social media paid, Google ads, and SEO, and that encompasses content and design and, and strategy. And, and so with those four service offerings, it was a little challenging to differentiate and go deep in the right way. And what ended up happening is is really interesting. Part of our growth story is that, Right around COVID, we ended up, as many companies did, we lost a lot of revenue quickly. And then what, what we were blessed with was we actually gained a lot of revenue in our portfolio. We had a client in our portfolio that was positioned to do really well during COVID. And because mm-hmm. of that, we ended up growing very quickly. And we grew from four employees to 14 employees in less than three months. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and Nothing could have prepared me for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and it was literally, um, I don't know if anyone listening has uh, had a moment when they're driving in a car that's not meant to go fast, but they just think, hey, how fast can this thing go? <laughs> and you put your pedal to the metal and then the steering wheel starts shaking and you think a tire is going to fall off and maybe it does. <laughs> that's, yeah. kind of what happens. that's what happened. That's what happened to us. So, you know, something that we've always been very rooted in is a culture and the value system and we're a virtual agency we were a virtual company before it became cool <laughs> and uh, and so I've, I've been very intentional to make internal relationships and our purpose and our culture important and when we grew that quickly we lost it mm-hmm. and and it was it was a painful season honestly we went through this season where we had to let some clients go that weren't a fit for us we had to uh, move away from some team members that weren't a fit inside of our culture and you know, you grow that fast and you're not able to to hold the same vetting process. And, and, you, and if you don't know that you need to be vetting at a certain level, you don't even know to do that. And so we had to walk back from that growth a good bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, right around the beginning of last year, 2021, we ended up moving away from a lot of things that had taken us away from who we wanted to be. And we realized that we really needed to have the discussion around um, what our differentiator was and what our niche market was and what makes us special. And when we sat and did a team SWAT together and we looked at our strengths and weaknesses, we looked at all of our clients and the clients that had done exceptionally well with us. were all They all had several common denominators. And the clients that we had been poorly with, that we, were, we hadn't reached the goals we wanted to reach for them, or weren't able to take their account to the place that they wanted to, or ended up just not being a fit, they also had several common denominators. So it, it, it moved us in a direction of what's now our mission. And our mission is that we grow people, not just businesses. And a differentiator okay. we have in the marketplace is that many digital marketing agencies have a mindset of scarcity where if they teach their clients, what they do, they're going to lose their clients eventually. And what we realized was that we kind of, you know, through our cares to the wind and said, it really fills us up to educate and empower and train. And even though we put a lot of time and effort into our templates and processes and intellectual property, we give it away to our clients. If they're with us, we give it to them. And those are actually the clients that have stayed with us the longest. We're actually um, just moving into a renewal with a client that's moving into their sixth year of being with us. And they grew from having no internal marketing team members to now having a four-person marketing team and growing significantly. And they just keep leveling up in how they work with us. But but we have built a foundation with them where we are their expert and we train and educate and empower them. And so we've really shifted in 2021 to niching into working with clients that eventually want to have their own digital marketing internal team that's very specialized in the different areas of digital that are gonna work for, that, for them as a company. And they want expertise in-house and they wanna take as much of the agency billable rate off of their, their marketing budget as they can. And, mm-hmm. and so that's worked for us. And, and so we don't look for a certain industry. We look for a certain kind of company. We look for a certain kind of company that's willing to put some faith in training a team that understands the importance of um, developing a team, that understands the importance of digital marketing and that believes in their own growth enough to invest in building a team for themselves. And so that's our fit.
0: That is really cool. And, And I know what you mean about the difference between the abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset, because I've seen it many times with service organizations and you even see it with like traditional large companies. You'll see that these people have their little silos that they try to keep all the information to themselves just because they Mm -hmm. feel like it makes them, you know, the less replaceable they are, the more job security. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's great that you're just trying to add value to the clients and just trusting that when it's the right fit, like this example you gave, you'll be able to continue to grow with them and scale with them. So I think it's a wonderful, you know, give first mindset.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, the you'd mentioned the the four areas that you work in: the website, social media, Google Ads, and SEO. Is there one of those that like matters more in general, or does it really just depend on the client? So, I would say
1: SEO principles matter the most in that you know you can have a website, but if It's not set up, you know, to do well online, even if you're not trying to have an aggressive SEO strategy where you're trying to get found for keywords that are non-branded, that are not your business name. If your website's not set up properly, you won't even get found for your actual company name. So, you know, in that that sense, it's important. SEO, I'd say Trump's website as a whole, you need to have that. The, the basics in place for that. And then as far as ads and advertising, I mean, it really depends upon your business model and what you're looking to accomplish. If you've got funding and you've got an ad budget and that's how you're going to be growing your organization and you've got a, a strategic plan to accomplish that, you you can go around, you know, SEO a little bit and not have an SEO strategy and not be trying to drive traffic organically to your website. But it doesn't make the most sense. Because, you know, it's going to make sense to set your company up so that you, if you're pouring ads money into it and you're doing social media paid and you're doing Google ads, you're driving traffic to your website, which is, which if your website's set up for SEO will actually help make it get found online for organic, which the way I like to draw the illustration for it is it's like buying a house or renting a house if you've Mm -hmm. got a website and it's there you want traffic to come to the website you want to get eyeballs on it that's why you have it and getting eyeballs on your website you can either pay for it which is kind of like renting you don't own that traffic Mm -hmm. it's not going to come back after you stop paying for the clicks but if it's organic you're not paying for those clicks and it's establishing value and the more you have organic authority, and the more your site performs organically with SEO, the more longevity. It's like real estate. So the longer you have it, the harder it is for somebody to take it away.
0: That's really interesting. I, I had not thought about it that way. Uh, so, so thank you for that that clarification. What do you What do you enjoy most about about running the company
1: well I, lo- I love the the strategy part of it i love working with different clients at different seasons when growth is important to them and helping them navigate situations that have been hard for them to figure out as far as growth with online marketing and and that's incredibly fun for me and that's always been i'd say since the very beginning my favorite part in that aspect but mm-hmm. what's become one of my more favorite parts of what i do Is the culture and team side of it. When you pour into culture and when you really start to understand the importance of protecting a value system and it comes from clients to partners to team, you get into this flow that is, that is literally the best feeling in the world to have a team that just, that just meshes and has a synergy that's so special and to look in, you know, team members eyes. When they're all together and see if there's a sparkle and there's a this a level of happiness and and synergy that that is I think really rare in workplaces and that's become my favorite thing bottom line y
0: you, you know that doesn't su- surprise me from what I know about you and your business that I would, when you first gave the answer about the strategy. I was almost a little disappointed because I was expecting it to be the culture. So I'm glad that you were able to, not disappointed for my sake, but disappointed because I sensed that the culture was really it was really what, what drove you. So, and last question on your company, is there a, a revenue size that kind of tends to be in your sweet spot for, for your clients, or do they tend to be all over the place?
1: Man, I tell you, I wish I could say yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I
1: wish I could say yes, but we work we work with entrepreneurs, and we have a Fortune five hundred company client, so it's really more about the goals of the company. Are you really trying to grow? Are you taking a step of faith and putting some investment into it? And do you need somebody to help you come along on that journey and meet you where you're at? And are you going to trust them? And so. You know, that's our fit. I wish I could say that our, it's easy for us to hone in on, you know, our niche market a little easier, but it's more about, you know, how fast do you want to grow and what kind of company are you and would you be a fit with us and are you going to trust us to help get you there? And will we have fun? <laughs> will yeah, Will we have that's... fun together? Because that's a big one.
0: Yeah. I find that myself with my clients. I've gotten to a point where I don't need any more clients who are not a joy to work with. So it's kind of like my filtering has gotten or has become more and more stringent over time that it's like I only inter- I mean, I mean, because my attitude is I already have enough clients. We have a recurring revenue model. So clients tend to stay a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like we already have enough clients. So if I'm going to add a new client, it needs to really... Uh, be a great fit, and needs to be somebody I really want to work with. So I yeah, can and appreciate and that. And
1: truly, that's a value. I mean, that's it. Literally, that's a value of ours. We call it celebration culture, but it's a value that we we prioritize, and it helps us look in the mirror at the end of the day, individually and organizationally, to say, "Hey, is are we going to enjoy from this?" You know, because for me, when, when I get back to that place where I said we grew really fast up to 14 and then we took a couple steps backward, that celebration culture value was the thing that I met in the mirror where I mm-hmm. said, what am I putting out in this world? And why am I working 70 hour work weeks and my family's not seeing me? I, the last thing that this is creating is joy. Yet I say I'm creating a company that, that has joy. <laughs> and it needs mm-hmm. me rearrange and redirect and course correct, and you know it's, it's something that is a guiding light for us. It truly is a guiding light for us. We have prioritized our values so much that our account managers actually have teams that have colors that mean the core value that that's their favorite one. So one of our account managers, she picked party hard pink because okay. it represents, it represents celebration culture to her. So her project management dashboard is in a bright pink and her label on everything is bright pink. And it's just a reminder.
0: That's awesome. I, uh, I love culture stories like that. And it seems like the greatest cultures that I've ever seen usually are women-led businesses. Do you think that's just coincidental or do you think there is uh, something to that?
1: Am I allowed to say no comment?
0: <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Sure. No, no that's, I, I, that's
1: mean, I mean, I'm a little biased, right? <laughs> I lead an all-female team, uh, and I'm a female owner. But I, I too, have seen, that uh, there's a couple companies that I work with that I would pinpoint off the top of my head that have the best cultures I've ever been a part of. And all the uh, a couple companies, not just women-led, of all the companies I would pinpoint, they're all female-led.
0: hmm yeah, so I think I think there is uh, there is something to that. Well, why don't we go ahead and switch gears now and talk a bit about the National Business Development Association, also known as NBDA. So, how did you first learn about NBDA?
1: Well, Christine introduced me to NBDA. I know Christine through Visage okay. and introduced me to the organization, and I fell in love with it immediately.
0: Okay. And what was it that you loved about it?
1: I, I really like that Christine, um, when she created MBDA, she created a solution that where it was, there was something missing for her personally. And, mm-hmm. um, she created a solution to the fact that there wasn't a networking space and a connection of, of individuals helping each other and helping solve problems in the business development and sales space. And it is it's it's really cool to watch it ten years like now it's been ten years celebrating ten year anniversary and the most recent event that um, I just went to it was really cool to see where it's come um, mm-hmm. from Christine literally just seeing that there was something missing for her personally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always heard that people you know successful entrepreneurs have said start with solving a problem that that bothers you or solve, mm-hmm. start with a, a need that you have because you've at least guaranteed there's one person who will benefit uh, in the world from from your solution. So, yeah, no, it has been fun to to watch over the last 10 years. So, and then that brings us to uh, the board of NBDA. So what, what prompted you to want to get involved with the board and what's your uh, role on the board? So my role on the board
1: is uh, marketing chair. And, well, it seems like um, a good
0: like a good fit.
1: <laughs> it does seem like a good fit, yes, hopefully, hopefully, I'll have something to add now, and the reason why i I joined is well, I, I mean, to be candid i I absolutely love the organization, but the fact that the organization is so great is laying up to the fact that you can tell that my uh, husband is from New Orleans since I use the word lanyard. up <laughs> right, uh, right is laying up to the fact that uh that I I searched for probably five years after I became a female entrepreneur um, and business owner and looked for another female. I mean, I didn't become a female business owner. I was a female, and then I became. Wow. But I started looking for a coach and a mentor. And I, I found, you know, I went through quite a few male coaches and mentors, and there was something missing for me, and it, it was hard for me to pinpoint it. But I wasn't getting my unique problems and challenges connected with in the way that I needed to be connected with. I was struggling to find my voice in certain situations. I was struggling to know how to deal with, you know, certain issues that I run into as a female business owner. And then when I met Christine, I saw somebody who was exactly what I'd been looking for in a mentor. And there's a book called Great Leaders Ask Great Questions by John C. Maxwell. And I read that book and it's all about mentorship. When I read that book, I had this idea that mentorship was something that in a box and it has to look a certain way and it has to act a certain way. And that's what a mentor is. And it's this you know, kind of formal thing. But after reading that book, it it really changed the way I look at it because there's a certain section in that book that talks about how you just identify the people that are where you want to be and that act the way that you want to act and that have what you want to have. And you just place yourself around them as much as you can and you just help them. And so for me, when Christine came and said, hey, I've got this open spot, it was a no brainer because if I can Mm -hmm. help her grow something and just be around her, then I'm going to glean something from her. And and so I just really wanted to support Christine, to be honest. And I'm really glad um, that it turned out that I also really like MBDA and it's great as well.
0: Oh, that is that is great. I'm sure when she listens to the episode she'll she will blush a little bit and will feel honored to to hear the kind words you've said about her. Okay, so let's dive down a little further into business development. So let's look at your own business development efforts, you know, for the comp in a typical week, how much time do you Dedicate to business development, or is it a hundred percent on uh, culture and team building?
1: No, so it's definitely not hundred percent on culture and team. I wish I, I, didn't, it I didn't be, figure. But <laughs> I'd say um, I think somewhere between three hours on the very low side to twelve hours on the high side. Okay. On business development.
0: And is that about how much time you feel like you should spend? Is that kind of consistent with that?
1: Yeah, I'd say I'd say an hour a day. Would be an ideal okay. target for me, but eventually, you know, we're actually, we're only, we're at six employees and we have some pretty big growth goals over the next couple of years. So we're looking to have a full-time business development person. Um, okay. You know, I think my business development's a little different than what I would want if I was actually growing and scaling that department and scaling those efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it definitely would be closer to 20 to 40 hours when I bring on, you know, somebody for that role.
0: Sure. No, that that makes sense. What, when you think about some of the business development habits you've developed, and maybe you even call them best practices, can you think of several, two or three that come to mind that you think of as kind of your go-to best practices for BD?
1: Yeah. You know, I think I think follow-up, you know, I think that actually Christy mentioned this when she spoke um, at the last MBDA event, you really set yourself apart when you are consistently following up on opportunities and individuals you meet and that when that follow up is met with providing value and being a support to whoever that you're looking to to nurture as a potential customer or a lead, that definitely sets you know, set you up for to be set sets you apart because I think I changed my mentality somewhere along the way as a business owner where it used to feel like sales and now it feels more like help where mm-hmm. I realized because I am a business owner myself, I realize how busy I am. And I know that if I'm connecting with a vendor or I'm trying to solve a problem in my business, it is an acute problem. It is something that is creating a problem for me right now. But tomorrow I might have a different fire. But the same, but yesterday's fire is still there. It's just Mm simmering. You know, and if you turn that on in your mind and your follow up, and you realize you're helping them remember that they've got a fire to put out and they need to solve a problem, and that today's problem might be something different, but you're just following up to help, you know, keep this ball in the air that they said needs to be in the air. That's how I've started to look at that follow up process. And that's been really helpful looking at it that way.
0: Okay, you know you, you mentioned the follow up. It reminds me of, so you know we're both in Texas, and so I'm guess I'm guessing you're familiar with the famous Bucky's gas station convenience mm-hmm. stores. So you know that's we kind of when we have long drives, we schedule our stops around Bucky's, like a lot of people do, and and it's funny because I think of. When you think of Bucky's and I was asking Christine last time we stopped there I said when you really boil it down what's their competitive advantage and I think it's clean bathrooms I think that's really their competitive advantage which seems illogical because that would seem like that that would be an easy thing to copy right it doesn't seem like it would be that cutting edge and that dramatically different and I kind of think of follow up the same way. That like in theory, everybody can do follow up. There's no magic to it. But for whatever reason, for the same reason gas stations struggle with clean restrooms, I think a lot of people struggle with follow up.
1: It's consistency. Mhm. Yeah, it's the consistency of the day to day monotony of doing that thing. You know, you have to prioritize it. And especially when you're in an organization and you get into organizational processes and growing as a company, it's something that's very easy not to prioritize. Like if you think about the seven habits of highly effective people, and are you familiar with the square chart? Where yes, got, I am, with um, the, the four quadrants.
0: Yeah. Yep, urgent yeah. And, the it's, urgent and important quadrants.
1: It's, it's, it's important, not urgent. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things that's very easy to not prioritize. So if you don't have a strong internal or organizational understanding of the importance of it and that you have to make it a priority, if you're not a leader that identifies that's a priority, you make it a priority, it, it falls to the wayside.
0: Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, you're right. It's a consistency and a commitment thing that it's just a, a non-negotiable. So, okay. So follow-ups one, what else? What are... What's another best practice or two that you have when you think of BD?
1: You know, I think that we're a little different as a company with BD. We, I absolutely hate saying this, but it is what it is. We do no marketing. It is all uh, about our quality of service and our reviews online and people just knowing us as a, a, as a quality organization that's going to do whatever it takes to deliver value. And all of our business development comes from re- either repeat referral or our network. And who we know. And so one of the things that we've done in our company is that we've made business development something that um, provides value for all team members. So we have an internal, you know, bonus program and we prioritize that and we prioritize that for all of our team members to make that something Im- important for them. To be reaching out and generating opportunities and meeting people. And then so that's one thing. And then the second thing that I would say is, you know, we we really try anytime we meet anyone, we try to not hard sell ever. And we try to just listen for what they're looking to accomplish. And a lot of times we create a relationship and a touch point simply by providing something of value for them. Because oftentimes when we say that we're a digital marketing agency and what we do and what our, you know, our mission is to grow people, not just businesses, we quickly learn you know, where they're confused about online marketing or digital marketing or where their need is and where their pain point is. And, and it doesn't mean that we have to pitch them a service. You know, there are a lot of mm-hmm. things where we can just share a template with them or we can share a resource with them or even introduce them to somebody else that might be a better fit. And mm-hmm. when we do that, if we just stay connected to them and we stay connected on their journey and keep checking in on them, that eventually becomes something. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've had somebody reach out a year or two or even three years after we've met them. And we just kept touching base with them every quarter, every couple of months, checking in on them. And then they're like, Hey, we're ready. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's the long game. And it's the playing value game or you, offering value game. You offer value, And you're in it for the long run and you stay connected and follow up and have clean Mm -hmm. bathrooms.
0: No, I like it. And because you're, you're, because one of the things that you'd mentioned was, you know, just doing good work to start with. You know, that's a form. You know, if your new business, if one of your sources are referrals from existing clients, then doing good work is a way, is kind of a, Type of business development. And I had another guest on the podcast a few months ago who you know because she's a fellow board member, Lori Lee White. Mm -hmm. And you know Lori Lee, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I was asking her about how much time she spends doing BD, she said, not very much, unless you count the time she spends trying to delight her client. That really struck with me because that really is a form of business development. And, you know, it's an indirect form, but, but it certainly works. And that reminds me of, you know, kind of your philosophy there.
1: Yeah. And to that point, another indirect form of business development that we, that we lean into a lot as a company, our partner channels. So we really try to make sure that we're educating our partners on the services we provide and where we add value and how we can help them with their clients. And, you know, by doing that, we expand our reach tenfold. And because if you partner with, you know, another agency or another company that serves the same market that you do, and you educate them on how you can provide value, you're enabling that partner to be even more valuable to their client because they're going to solve the problem. And it's going to be with you.
0: mm -hmm, (laughs) And they have vested
1: interest in that.
0: No, I think that's, I think that's great. So the three to 12 hours a week, you do spend developing relationships and new business. How does that time uh, look like? What are kind of the specific things that you're doing? So
1: sometimes it's going to events and meeting people and sometimes it's reconnecting with it. So like I said, it's playing the long game. So I've actually Mm -hmm. got a project management system that reminds me when it's been more than three months since I've seen somebody or talked to somebody is in my network that I want to stay connected to. And so when these names pop up on my project management system, I'll schedule lunch with them or coffee with them, or at the very least a call. And you know, I, I try to do... At a minimum three of those a week and you know at a maximum i do i'm doing probably one a day of that and that's 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 like going usually going in person um Mm -hmm. one-on-one with somebody who you know i I really want to stay connected with and then we also do this you know we've got had a couple different names for it but we have this lead generation and really it's just business development where Depending on what our client load is with our team, sometimes we'll spread this out and own it as a team. But at the very least, I own it if my team is maxed out with client work and not able to be helping with it. But we have a system of reaching out um, through LinkedIn to a wide network of folks in Houston that are either coming into the marketing space, in the middle of the marketing space, Advanced in their careers or running a company with a vested interest in marketing for their company. And so we reached out not? and we just say, Hey, we're here. And if you want to just like get to know each other, here's a link, hop on, let's do a call, let's get to know each other. And I'd love to just meet you and see what you're up to. And surprisingly, I think, you know, I think LinkedIn is saturated with this outreach that is um, not personal. And right. it, it's, it, it is just the same template where they cookie cutter paste in a name. Yeah. And and when you really actually send your personal link and I mean, I send these personal messages out and I say, Hey, like I've, I've been following you a little bit. I saw your profile. I think you, you seem really awesome. And like, we'd have a good 15 minute conversation. Here's my Calendly link. Do you want to pop on and have a quick chat? And I've had to limit, I've had to put a limit in Calendly as to how many I can have of those of a, in a day, because I'll have up to, you know, I've had it to where I max out at four, I've had to stop it at four, but you you know, several a day up to like 10 to 15 of those in a week. And and that's a lot of, you know, touch points, but just popping on for 15 minutes, sometimes they end up becoming 30 minutes because it's a great conversation. And then I spend, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes afterwards, finding some links for them, finding some resources for them following up, putting them in our follow-up system, getting them in the email system. And over time, that really evolved into something that has like a compounding effect as far as mm-hmm. reach and network and business development.
0: Hmm. No, that's uh, that's great. And that's something I'm trying to spend a little more time in, in LinkedIn as well. So I, I appreciate the... You, know, you
1: should reach out to me after this. I've got a template for a process that's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it's funny because in preparation for this, I had pulled up your profile, so I will just go ahead and and, and connect.
1: Yeah? Great.
0: So, what if you could go back in time and give advice to say your 22 or 25-year-old self, what advice might you give?
1: Oh, great question. Man, that's a good question. Because I want to say change this, change that. But I'm so happy with where I'm at. And I know that if I were to change anything, it would change where I ended up. It's uh, the, butterf- the butterfly
0: would- effect, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My advice would probably be just enjoy it all and don't stress out so much.
0: Hmm. Yeah. In- enjoy the journey and don't stress out so much.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's great advice to to anyone. So as we as we're kind of rounding the home stretch here, just a, a couple more questions. So, in addition to NBDA, what else do you do to develop your skills in business development?
1: Well, I try to read a lot. Right now, I'm I'm also in a coaching program. For so, are you familiar with Russell Brunson? Of I am.
0: Yeah, okay. I am. I've listened to him on podcasts. I think I've even listened to his podcast.
1: Yeah, so he's, he is excellent at business development and, and also funnels in the follow up. And I, I went to Funnel Hackers Live, um, let's see, last summer and I joined his coaching program that he has. It's called 2CCXers, the 2 comma club. And the goal is just to be a part of this community and this coaching community and Russell Brunson's inner circle and network. So that he can help you develop out your first follow-up funnel or your first funnel that has a million dollars that goes through it in revenue and it's not just you know the funnel or the technical aspect of it it's a network of individuals that are all on the same journey and are all also individuals that you know, or who I would like to develop business with and connect with and grow with as an organization. And I'm actually uh, heading to Mexico next week to go for a conference with all of the QCC and then that coaching program. So I think it's just this uh, mentality of consistent. One of our company values is called a growth mindset. It's a mindset to just consistently be growing and taking in information and trying to put yourself around people that are going to grow you and give you new perspectives. And Russell has some great books and great, as he said, podcasts and different information about looking at business development and growing as an organization in different ways. And his is very much about like a tribe mentality and creating a tribe in, with your company and something that, that uh, people want to be a part of. And it's really changed how I've been looking at business development from it being like dr- your direct immediate buyer. To creating a wide network of individuals that just want to be a part of a wave that you're putting out into the world, and and that's you know that's another you know angle of how I'm looking at it.
0: No, I really love that, and and I love, and it's called the two comma club. Is that right? Meaning seven mm-hmm. figures. Yeah, I, yes. I love that that term. I think that's great. Yes, and that's good to know about that because I had never talked to anybody who'd actually been part of his coaching community and I appreciate the uh, the input there. What I know you're new on the board but thus far what do you uh, appreciate most about being on the NBDA board?
1: I would say the event. I would say if anybody that's listening to this hasn't been to one of the events, they should make it uh, happen as quick as they can. The event that I just went to, which was my first one, I've been a part of a lot of organizations and that was the best event that I've been to by far. It was great networking, great content, great information, and just a really good time. So I would say by far that.
0: Yeah, I can appreciate that. I was at that same event and that was the first event I've been to in a couple of years. And it was really great uh, to be over there. Yeah, I tend to not make a lot of those events because it seems like, especially when my wife's speaking, because most of her stories are about me. And uh, <laughs> and sometimes it's just a little, I don't want to say embarrassing, but, but it uh, makes me just, it's uncomfortable. kind of, it, it's not even quite that. It's just sort of surreal. And uh, yeah. Well, th- that's great. Yeah, the events really are kind of the the heart of NBDA. Well, as we're wrapping up, is there anything we didn't talk about that you think we should have?
1: No, I think you did a great job. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, well, I did. I did too. Well, well, thank you for making the time and your enthusiasm for your business and your you know your celebration culture is really just contagious. I can see why. Your, your team and your culture is as good as it is. I can only imagine being around you all day, how much even more excited one would be about your mission.
1: Well, thank you for that. Thank
0: you. All right. Well, you have a great day and thanks for being on. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at podcast.nbda.co. And you can find out more about being a member of the National Business Development Association at nbda.co. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.